WNBC. WNBC. What are you doing? <laughs> ambush. We're doing live. <laughs> That's okay, our we'll birthday present. <laughs> yes, we ambushed you. You're on our podcast right now. Now maybe you'll refuse to be on it and won't let us publish this or whatever. But it's, oh, this could be a magical hour if you have Paul pour you a glass of wine and just run with it. Yeah, I think maybe he should. <laughs> Get, Get some whiskey. And temper new. Make it stiff. <laughs> now we didn't just sabotage you you guys i was kind of waiting for this but i thought it would be on a my favorite movie one it is we all well we watched imitation of life last night oh you did yes so i know you didn't you told me in a chat a while back that was your favorite movie the 1959 version douglas sirk's yeah. famous melodrama imitation of life was your favorite film so we watched it last night um we're prepared to talk about it. Don't know when the last time you saw it was, but we hope you at least remember what resonated about it with you. But we do still have a surprise for you. We didn't just use that as a ruse to trick you in here. So if you want to open that file and check it out, we can kick this off right. <laughs> oh, boy. I should... Turn the sound up. Uh, Sarah won't be seeing it. Have oh, you seen yeah. it already, Sarah? It's going mm -hmm. down, Elizabeth. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. Constantine. Oh. What up? Your boy from American oh, Idol. God. Your boy you from Broadway's Rock of Ages, Tony nominated. Hello. Well, Jason Thornton was telling me all about you. What an awesome mama you are. What a huge fan you've been. Thank you for all the years of support. You're awesome. Mother's Day is coming up. Happy Mother's Day to you, Elizabeth. It's been such a crazy couple of years, and you've been there for your boy. You've been there for your family. You've been there for all your friends and family. Thank you. Thank you for all the love that you've shown them and support. Thank you for being there. <laughs> and Chris and Jay, they appreciate you letting them watch horror movies as kids, because that's pretty cool, okay? Which turned them into proud deviants. <laughs> Okay, and they're proud to be that today. Okay, and thank you for being such a great grandma to Q. And um, it seems like you just have an awesome family. And uh, that's so cool. You know, and I just know that they idolize you. You're the real American idol. You're a total rock star. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Elizabeth. Happy Mother's Day to ya. Happy Mother's Day. Chris, Jay, Q, everybody. They love ya. Jason. And I just want to say, Snake! <laughs> the snake. We, I should have coached him more on the snake. Like, snake! Oh, yeah. 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 So I don't know if the inside so joke came across. Yeah. You only get so many characters to I tell them it. what you want to say. Um, wait a minute. If this is indeed an episode of our podcast, for those of you watching who don't know who that is, that is a guy named Constantine Maroulis, I think, who is, a, <gasps> as he tells everybody in every cameo video, Tony-nominated Broadway actor and musician but he was on american idol and our mom was totally hashtag team constantine right you want to tell them about that sarah <laughs> no you're <laughs> i had a year of my childhood <laughs> just kidding well she did tell me once i'm going to start a website for constantine orphans <laughs> support group that's hilarious at the top of his cameo it says your mom loves me that's the first thing it says oh so moms do love him. Yeah. I consider that my midlife crisis. <laughs> Constantine. It's funny. See, once I was out of the house, you had to find your own way on who to have crushes <laughs> on. It couldn't be my idols. Like, oh, I'm into Jose Canseco. Mom gets a crush on him. And I'm into Kevin Costner movies. Mom gets a crush on him. She stole all my childhood idols. Your boyfriends. <clears throat> fantasized about them. Constantine, not a childhood <laughs> idol of mine. That started with Jay, too. Yeah, there you go. But I do want to say, if this gets out, and Constantine, you see this, you fucking crush that, dude. That yes. was amazing. Awesome job. <laughs> I should have coached you on the snake better. It's my fault. You can send in Cameo a little 20-second like coaching video. I should have done that, but uh, I didn't. But uh, other than that, I think he was amazing. <laughs> and I couldn't think of any. And your price is reasonable, dude. Some oh, of these man. people are crazy on there. Yo. Bon Jovi's 10 grand. 
Well, I never had wow. a Wow. <laughs> so happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's happy Day. Happy Mother's Day. From your boys. We'll, we'll talk about this later off screen. We'll talk about what? This later off screen. No, that'll be uh, overtime. <laughs> Patreons only. Of which you're half of them. <laughs> we have two patrons. You are one of them. So I think you're safe. Actually, um, I'm three. I'm one too. <laughs> all right. If you're down to do this, Imitation of Life, do you want to talk about why that's your favorite movie? Or do you want to describe for people first what the film's about? Or do you want one of us to do that? Um, since I'm not prepared, maybe you can. I'd like to hear what you think it's about. It's this really old, boring ass movie. No, I'm just kidding. It's uh, <laughs> it's about this white woman who wants to be a Broadway star, and she loses her kid on a beach. Her daughter Susie, who is found by this black woman, who then. I don't want to say hustles is a negative thing, but she's a hustler. She's like, look, I can come help you, whatever. They're essentially homeless, the black woman and her own daughter. She's divorced. So, and, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and the white actress chick is a widower or a widow. Nowadays, you could call her a widower, maybe the gender and everything, but she was a widow. So she's like, all right, she has her come live with her. So it's the two girls and these two women living together. Eventually, the broadway star actually hits it big so you get that dynamic of it um but one of the biggest subplots of it is the daughter of the black woman who becomes the housekeeper essentially can pass as white she's very light-skinned so that's a huge part of the movie is just her rejecting her blackness rejecting her mother trying to assimilate into white culture and just shameful of her black culture and uh i mean that's i guess the elevator pitch log line of it I don't know if I'm missing anything. That pretty much covers it. Yes. I, I mean, there's a little subplot, I think, with yeah. the daughter and the mom. The older man. Yeah. yeah. Her, yeah that her, kind of is that what did it for you? No, no. <laughs> You're a young girl, like, man, I do no. dig older men. I'm trying to remember when I first became aware of the movie, and it wasn't so much that it's not so much that it's my favorite movie. It's just that it had an impact on me because mm. I remember one, I, it was one of my mom's boyfriends that was watching it and he was crying. Mm. I just thought, what? That's touching. That's never, awesome. That's a great reason. I had a movie yeah. before, so that made me interested in it because I mm -hmm. wanted to watch it to see why he was crying. I'm about to cry. That's awesome. Yeah, that is. Um, and yeah, this this was made right at the beginning of the civil rights era. Right. And, 1959. Uh, considering the subject matter, you know, it was, and even today, you know, with all the racism going on, and it had its like Harvey moments in it too. It is still pretty relevant, you know. Uh, well, extremely. Unfortunately, it's still relevant. What's that? Trying to fit in to a place in society where you know, society thinks you don't belong in and kind of growing up the way I did with my mom, being an alcoholic and kind of being outcast in our neighborhood or whatever and trying to fit in at school and things like that. I think that resonated with me because it was at that time period where that was really important as a kid. So, mm -hmm. so you resonated with the Sarah Jane character, the daughter of the black housekeeper, Annie. Right. Interesting. I was going to say, are we passing white? Does that explain our lips? Yeah. Like, are we, I thought you were going to break some news. On here. Um, I got a nice jump shot. Um, anyway, that's, that's super interesting. That that's what resonated with you. But I love that part about the dude crying. Yeah. You can see this man reduced to tears who, I don't know what granny's boyfriends are like, but if they were anything like some of your early ones that we remember, they weren't the type we'd be crying in front of kids. <laughs> Normally. It's a super relevant movie to talk about on Mother's Day, too, considering the two main thrusts of the story were about mother, you know, child relationships, you know, the, uh, right. the rejection of her race on the one side and the um, coveting of her mom's you know man and life and everything on the other yeah if i were to get freudian i might say 
that since you brought up that element as a subplot, when I missed it, the one of the young girl pining for her mother's boyfriend, and you talked about the impact it had on you with Granny's boyfriend and seeing him cry, Freud would probably have a field day with that. <laughs> you coveted well, Granny's boyfriends? <laughs> Is that what's going on? I would be deeply, deeply buried. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If that because yeah. I don't remember any. I was I'm trying to remember how old I was. I remember where we were living, but where was that? Had to be in the, the mid '60s in um, Glass Manor, Oxon Hill area. Still, well, it's not really Oxon Hill, but not too far. Yeah, it's not in that area. DC line because we had moved out of DC probably just a few years, not that many years before that. Like yeah, um, so I was born in D.C. General. Were you as well, Jay? I was born in Cheverly, Maryland. Technically, in my okay. birth certificate. I was thinking, as part of the it, it being Mother's Day, you could talk about our births. I'd be curious to hear. I know you've meant you've talked about it a little in the past, but what are our two and Sarah's? You know, how we all were uh, may have varied from one another. Even though this is a video podcast, if you have video of any of that, you don't have to share it. Don't feel compelled. <laughs> Like, if I have videos to show of you kids, guys, plus being born, getting born, I don't have a handy uh, right now. (laughs) Birth videos, no, um, no no birth videos, yeah, good, yeah. And just talk about, I mean, you got pregnant with Chris at a young age, so you were kind of thrust into motherhood when you probably should have been pining after your mom's boyfriends or whatever, you know what I mean? You're like the age that that girl was in the movie almost. She didn't have any at that time. (laughs) Right. None of them all off. Stuck around. (laughs) (laughs) She had her hands full. Yeah, with daughters getting pregnant. Well, and you said to me that we had set you up that there was going to be a surprise on this and we wanted to get a reaction video from you. And you said your mind was racing because you and our Aunt Joanne used to like to spring on our grandmother, who we called Granny growing up. Um, that's when you like to spring pregnancies on her and let her know she was going to be a grandmother again is on Mother's Days. We only did <laughs> uh, Only twice. With you only got four kids between you, so that's 50% of the time. Um, well, sorry, Sarah. Yeah, we did it with Sarah. I did it with Sarah, and then she did it with, um, oh my gosh, my mind just went blank, but the youngest child of Joanne's. Mm. So you didn't do it with me or Chris? No. (laughs) Andrew? Yes. I kept wanting to say Andrew. Oh my God. It's going to go over well. Um, I'll believe that. (laughs) It's not enough one. Mom's on the hot seat. Sometimes you might lose your memory for a second yeah blame it on the wine well all right what was it like telling granny that you were pregnant at that age how long did you keep it hidden did you go to her right away like what should i do stressful or was it like um having a baby when in maybe eight to twelve hours (laughs) (laughs) much no um she actually asked me because i was in denial Mm-hmm. And she noticed that a certain item wasn't being requested mm-hmm. at the grocery store. And so she asked me, so I said, mm-hmm. I think so. <laughs> so then um, I was pretty gullible, naive, ignorant. So, yeah. You talked to Joanne, and together they, looking at the dog, um, got me um, a doctor's appointment, and we went from there. I remember one Mother's Day, I wrote a card that said, thanks for not getting an abortion, Mom. (laughs) And she burst into tears. I'm just kidding. No. Right. (laughs) Uh, Go ahead. How did uh, Granny react when you when she you know you did tell her you thought it it was the case? Was she upset at all, or just kind of like uh, she seems like pretty 
you know, uh, seasoned with life and stuff? Was it just like another, another blow? Another. I don't know how much you want to talk about it either, but she had that trauma with a young child of hers, right? So. Yes. Yeah, that's something I've thought about as I've gotten older more. <clears throat> uh, a sister who is about five years younger than me, born with a heart defect that wasn't detected, and then when she was eight months old, I always. I thought she had pneumonia or bronchitis or something and just wasn't strong enough to handle it. And her heart gave out when she passed away. And I don't really remember her. I only remember her from pictures. I remember my mom coming home from the funeral and what she was wearing. That, that's pretty much. Did that change her like instantly? I mean, you, there was a her before that and then after that? In my mind, I think so, because I feel like our childhoods were pretty normal. And, you know, weekends, we all went to my grandmother's house. They lived on a farm, and everybody brought food, and the kids played softball out in the lawn, and we jumped out of the hay bale into piles of hay, that kind of thing. And my dad was always really great with holidays and stuff like that. So it was just a normal childhood. But I think that's in my mind when when she started drinking mm -hmm. and then from there with her and our grandfather frank it probably went bad and too yeah. much water under the bridge yes well i think he couldn't handle it he was miserable i remember him holding her on the floor to stop her from going out at night mm. so sounds like a douglas cirque melodrama no shit. maybe that's another reason i like <clears throat> But, um, and of course, back then, I, don't, I doubt she got any kind of counseling or treatment for grief or anything. So. Right. Mm -hmm. The bottle or the church. And she wasn't really the church going type. No. Nope. That I remember. <laughs> Bless nope, her heart. <laughs> so. I got a lot of guilt about her. I feel like the last few years, we just didn't, you know, with the military life moving all over and. That song, Cats in the Cradle, how you get too busy at the end. Mm. The roles are reversed. I feel like we didn't visit her nearly enough or call her. Mm. Didn't do anything, really. Mm. And it was like, she's gone. I'm like, fuck. Mm. I still carry yeah. some of that. Because she, she was our world, man. When you were a single mother working, going back to school, trying to get your GED, get a job, work your way up you know, find another husband, whatever. She was there every day. We lived with her. I mean, until I was eight years old, I'd sneak into her bed and sleep butt to butt, we used to call it. <laughs> Stay warm, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, yeah, it just feels like, damn, I wonder if she felt betrayed or just forgotten. Makes me sad. I don't know. She never said anything. You know, I tried to see her when I could, especially when we lived in Virginia. We used to drive up quite frequently. To yeah. She's pretty stoic, though. Like, I don't know that she would say anything, even if she was feeling it or thinking it. Right. That makes me even sadder. I know. A stoic person who just harbors this loneliness but doesn't express it so no one can address it, you know? Mm -hmm. Did you notice I'm trying to cuss less on this one because you're here? It's out of respect to you. It's Mother's Day. We'll see what your patrons say if we let this <laughs> We're going to start a drinking game. Every time I say and shit at the end of a sentence, you have to do a shot. People will be done like six minutes in. Um, if we want to talk about this movie at all, I don't know how much you recall it, like I said, but to, it's funny to me when I read about these movies, Douglas Sirk in his time wasn't really that well regarded. And the movie was panned by critics and everything, but it grossed $50 million and was the highest grossing movie of 1959. So obviously that, like Chris said, on the cusp of the civil rights movement and everything, that material resonated. I'm sure that racial angle was a big part of it. But uh, and now people look back, it's like Criterion Collection, you know, stuff. It's Douglas Sirk is regarded as kind of an auteur. And like you think of the term melodrama versus drama. I question if this is a melodrama or is it just a drama? You know, it's a. Uh, yeah, it didn't seem that melodramatic to me. It seemed pretty genuine. And with the it's more about performance and just tone. Yeah. I think it's the difference where a melodrama is where, oh my God, everything's all heightened yeah. and, you know, almost it stagey. It didn't seem that amplified to me and this didn't, you know? Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can see that. Well, it is a remake. Yeah, which is also interesting. Yes, 1930 something was the original. Yeah, I tried to watch that one, but I couldn't really. I think I'm mm. so entrenched in the, the one that yeah. I. When's the last time you watched this one? Um, maybe five or six years ago. You know, sometimes right. I looked it up on Netflix, Prime, okay. something like that, and watched it. Cool. I've watched it several times. It was cool to see Alan Alda's dad doing his thing. Robert Alda played Loomis. The uh, That's Alan Alda's the, dad? Yeah, I looked it up. Yeah. I saw That's Alda, awesome. and I wondered, is this another nepotism case? Yep. <laughs> well, you know, Chris White's and Paul White's, the directors, they started with, like, American Pie and shit like that. But uh, eventually, I think they got an Oscar nomination for the script of About a Boy. They made that movie with Hugh Grant. Um, they've made a lot of stuff, but their mom was the girl who played Sarah Jane, the passing white girl, okay. as she was older. Okay. So it's like a lot of Hollywood lineage stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. It must be crazy. I was thinking that because obviously how you grew up, how we grew up, just these people, we run into a lot of them in Hollywood, you know, some producer we meet, oh, they're the son of this person. That's how, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. I was wondering how the person, how, the door. yeah, that nepotism is always ever present in the, just man, what a life that must be growing up with. And I'm sure it has its, pluses and minuses like i know a guy on facebook whose dad was like the love boat creator and but then i started reading this guy was notorious and all these lawsuits and everything and then i know the dude whose dad wrote the graduate or was a producer on the graduate or something you know but then it's like that's cool that your dad is like this oscar winner but was he home much i don't know you know what i mean mm-hmm. so and often when you're trying to succeed in that same business people hold it against you too that you you know you're only successful because you were the kid of you know uh hollywood alumni or whatever but if you um you know like we 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 just reviewed cronenberg's son's movie and we were like comparing it to his dad's and stuff like that so you get compared to you know yeah big shoes to fill type thing mm mm-hmm Luckily, none of you amounted to anything in the entertainment industry, so we don't have that problem. <laughs> That's right. Quentin's the one who'll have that issue. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, not, <laughs> not at this rate. <laughs> Some of the most successful ones, like Paul Thomas Anderson, you find out their parents might have been in the industry, but not successful. You know, it's like the most successful people's kids don't necessarily turn out to be the best filmmakers you know but somebody who exposed them to it and you definitely exposed us to it i don't know how many of these episodes you've watched but we've toasted you several times just for letting us yes a lot you say well you know i was watching the exorcist at five years old and i'm like the whole thing i don't remember sitting you down and saying watch this no 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 it was more like your negligence worked out perfectly (laughs) i was watching it and you came in the room or something I'm just kidding. No, but I remember like you would make us cover our eyes during certain movies. It's not like you were indoctrinating us and like you're gonna learn about these movies, but it's like you were cool with letting us watch it. Right. You didn't oh, pander to us. Right. I remember preventing myself from watching it at yep. a certain age, like covering my own eyes. And yeah. first time I ever whistled was watching The Exorcist. I was so scared I put a blanket over my head and went like, I just, <laughs> man, I, I remember we had those hand stitched Afghans, and like if we were watching yeah, Police Academy was. two, and there's like some boobs on the beach or something, you'd be like, "Cover your eyes," and I'd always snag an Afghan because he could see through it, you know. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> or of course, there's the finger trick. Think about it back then, though, an R-rated movie is probably a PG-13 movie now, though. Maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's stuff that. Like, I mean, Midnight Cowboy was rated X. That's absurd. That's an R movie, obviously. That's Tango in Paris we just reviewed was X. Right. So it might have a rape in it. That's true. (laughs) Uh, Hey, guys, I'm out. I can't check into my Airbnb yet, and it's starting to pour slash snow. Oh, all right. I'll try and jump on, and I'll I'll try and jump back on in a few. All right, I'll keep an eye out for you. Feel free to throw in questions or whatever for mom, too, if you got them, because she's not just our mom. That's our sister, Sarah, by the way, everyone who watches this, if this makes um, it to. I was going to say, it seems like you're the only one out of three of us that didn't self-censor TV. Oh, yeah? Censor yourself. I remember Ooh. we went to a movie and she's like, 
don't think I should be watching this. And I'm like, I don't know where to go. <laughs> That's a, my son is like that. Quentin's like that. I don't know if this is right. This is kind of scary, Dad. Should I be, I'm like, dude. <laughs> It's make believe. It's uh, he likes horror stuff, but he's not. I'm not pushing anything on him. I'm like, you can get to that. You got your whole life to watch slasher flakes. I'm not at all pushing that on you. Um, Again, just like you didn't. You know, I do have friends who are film guys, and they're kind of indoctrinating their kids with their favorite albums, their favorite everything. You know what I mean? I know one guy. He's like, he had been listing like, this is what. Me and my two sons looked at it, and this kids, I'm talking like six and eight or something. And it's like, we listen every night, we listen to a record from front to end, a classic record. Where we're like, do these six year olds really want to sit there and listen to every song of Simon and Garfunkel's I guess maybe best album? Coloring, you know, I guess maybe if they're coloring a coloring book or something while they're listening. Yeah, if they're doing other things during you it. Be kind of, you could possibly listen and do other things. So. But knowing yeah, this guy and who he was and the type of dude he is, that <laughs> I feel I felt for these kids that like they were just sitting there like I was pinned open. Sit on to watch. your hands and listen yeah. to this album. Exactly. Don't you see so, what's great about it? The harmonies. So then, I have a question. This is off track, though. All right, Sarah has a question. What's your? She wants nothing to do with it because she's mm-hmm. much of her childhood in bowling alleys. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Are you saying what? You could drive your kid away from it by overexposure because uh, yeah, didn't really want to have anything to do with bowling because she spent so much of her childhood in <laughs> bowling alleys when we were on leagues. And stuff. Watching the Big Lebowski's traumatic for her. Yeah. All right. Well, Sarah had a question too. What were you saying? What's your favorite movie that you watched with all three of us? Well, not together, but individually. Yeah, What's... Mm. Hmm. Maybe Raiders of the Lost Ark. With who? What you mean individually? You, you no, watched yes, that together. Yeah, the, I thought you had one that we all. No, we, I don't think we all want. I don't remember watching that. You mean the three of oh, us? That, we all watched Lock starring Tom Hardy together. I know that. Oh, we yeah. were just Tom Hardy in a car. Well, like from our from our childhood. What is your favorite movie that you would watch with us? Whether it was with with me or with Chris and Jay. Raiders of the Lost Ark could apply to me and Chris, probably. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, Sarah's like 20 years my junior, so like. <laughs> hey, there, I think we watched. There's not mean, a lot of overlap, but. We, yeah. I, I know mom and I watched that together, but I don't know how much of a huge impact it had. Well, what do you think it was with Sarah, mom? Your favorite movie that you and her share? Probably. It might be a toss up between two Beauty and the Beast. Or the Little Mermaid. Yeah, neither of those what? apply to us. <laughs> Mom looks at you perpetually as a child. <laughs> uh, what do you? What did you? Let's play so the newlywed no. game. Like, what did you hope her answer would be, Sarah? Cactus Jack. <laughs> a rough cut. I was maybe gonna say that movie Dragonfly. Yeah, with Kevin Costner. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. remember that one? Really? So, what did you I like about that movie? What? Because I didn't really like the movie, but <laughs> I don't was know. That... Number one, except for Kevin. I get, I know the message of it and everything, and but I guess I just remember watching it a lot. No, oh, really. Yeah. Maybe it was just on heavy rotation at HBO or something at the time. I, or I just remember having like a very emotional connection to the movie. I guess at a long, mm-hmm. young age, or just I haven't seen it. Check it out. Feeling emotional about it i saw it once it's basically kevin costner's wife they're like doing mission work in some south american country and this bus goes down in a landslide and his wife dies and then he starts being thinking thinking he's being visiting visited by her ghost in the form of dragonflies right like in the jungle and stuff it's yeah. pretty interesting yeah she had like a dragonfly birthmark or something yeah and then they lost the daughter yeah. somehow but found her in a village and she had a dragonfly Tramp stamp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Dragonfly. See, that's what I love about this show. Like we had the dude on uh when we had Doug, our other patron, Doug Johnson, shout out. And uh his better half Brett, who they're getting married this summer, which is cool. Finally. His favorite movie was um Bruce Almighty and hers was Parenthood. I almost said so Bruce Almighty field. for my favorite one. <laughs> nice. Really? Toss up. I know. Yeah, I saw that podcast. I really liked it. They're nice couples. Too. Dude, they're awesome. Yeah. yeah, we did two of them. 
both great talking about free will and yeah, yeah. suicide okay. attempts and shit it's heavy yeah and then brett was on that covid one we did with sarah mm-hmm. right. oh yeah yeah, that was a good one too. Sarah, how many times did Butch try and contact you afterwards? Clutch Walker. <laughs> but he's a hound dog. Oh. Maybe two or three times. All right. Oh, yeah. Dude, <laughs> if you're watching. <laughs> Back off. You ain't nothing but a hound. No, it wasn't wasn't. <laughs> wasn't that creepy. Wasn't that Slipped into your DMs. <laughs> that fourth message from him is usually the one. <laughs> pushes it in the creep took the hint. <laughs> maybe i said something i don't remember oh yeah i remember the first time i found out you were pregnant with sarah i was at the dinner table i don't think jay was there but maybe but so the count might be off on this but um it was i think it was you me paul and paul and i think paul said something about the four of us sitting here at the table or whatever and i was like dropped a hint and i was like what <laughs> you know i was like 20 at the time one of those little those teeth in an eyeball twins were found in paul's brain that's what i meant <laughs> all right <It's>, uh, <laughs> paul's parasitic twin yes exactly uh, <laughs> uh, i'm at the five of us sorry <laughs> or his imaginary friend <laughs> drop dead fred that's a good one uh, you watch that one mom Drop dead Fred. I don't think so. Yeah. No. One of my favorite movies as a kid to watch with you was I don't know how many times we watched it, but my favorite movie, I think, in that age range around eight was Witness. Oh. And that was just great. Because we love Harrison Ford from Raiders and Star Wars, but then to see him in this serious role where like when he got shot in it, like, is he gonna die? Like it was serious. And then that scene where he is dressed as Amish where he's hiding with the Amish and he knees that bully in the face when all the Amish guys wouldn't fight him. Mm-hmm. I was like, fuck yeah. Red. Super red. That's one of those moments. You're just like, yes, good guys win, you know? And then the kid with the gun, that scene where the kid has the gun and he starts showing it to him, takes the bullets out, but then the mom comes in like, what are you doing? Showing my Amish kid a gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just that world's colliding kind of thing. Cause we grew up in basically a, urban black neighborhood in oxen hill then we moved to the philippines so we always had worlds colliding kind of stuff going on you know Mm -hmm. how did a imitation of life affect you as far as race goes when you were growing up through the civil rights movement into the 70s in an area like dc that has its own racial thing going on did that movie at all play into your worldview I'm sure it did, but I thought about that more often lately since like the George Floyd thing and everything that growing up, you know, in Southeast DC through the civil rights, you know, I remember there was a drugstore down the street. My brother and I would ride our bikes down to and get ice cream and everything and then it was burned out and I just remember the anger and being afraid after that but now I look back and think about how they felt Mm -hmm. the anger and the fear that they always felt so but I had cousins who lived deeper into southeast DC and Mm. were always friends together they never showed any kind of racial tones or anything like that and i remember we'd go down and play and we'd all be playing jump rope in the street and stuff like that so i don't feel like that part that played that big a part in our lives as kids but then after the riots and everything that's kind of when we moved were you do you remember the riots? Were you there, like, watching stuff out the window and people and stuff? Or was it more on the news for you or what? I mean, I know that place burned down, but you didn't, like, see it going down or hear it? Well, I can't really remember seeing anything. I just have little pieces of memory, like my aunt, there was a shopping center 
nearby and she worked at a dress shop and going down there and her being really nervous to go home and mm -hmm. things like that and just the tension more yeah it's unfortunate too like we had that gas station famously a couple of years ago down the street from us burned down during a you know riot you could call it but a protest essentially that you know it's not that's what happens and that's the problem is that there will be a legitimate protest going on and then a couple people participating in it will elevate it to property damage, you know, violence, whatever. And the next thing you know, it's a riot. But it's like most of the people participating in it are just trying to survive in the middle of it. Probably they're like, how did this start? You know, it's not like everybody called each other. All right, we're going to ride at 9 p.m. All right. You know, right. maybe I mean, we, we live pretty close, fairly close to the D.C. Maryland line, so more like the suburbs type. Not people don't even talk about that riot. You hear about Detroit and you hear about the Watts riots mm -hmm. a lot, but I feel like no one talks about this D.C. riot. No, that's what was it in response to? Do you remember? Mm, not exactly. Could that's what I'm wondering. Was it a local thing, or was it like the assassination of Martin Luther King, or what? You know. I'm trying to remember. After looking at that myself. That was 68. That was a long time ago. Oh, 68. Broader, yeah. Part of the broader King assassination riots. Yeah. That was definitely a, a fuel on the fire. I think right. it's been uh, yeah. that. Yeah. That is one of maybe the worst moment in American history, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the worst unity and peace and to get murdered. Yeah, just right. Awful. Right, right. He was about lifting up poverty, you know, people out of poverty, eliminating poverty. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, almost like the Christ of our yeah country. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like he was absolving us of our sins and capped. And of course, some people think possibly yeah. by the government. Essentially, you know. a turn the other cheek kind of message. You know, pre peaceful protests instead of violence, and violence ends up love your enemy yeah. you know, exactly <laughs> tragic i was thinking this film like you mentioned you know granny's boyfriend crying and stuff and I, it you know i i hope it, it touched a lot of people out there who might have been that might not have seen things you know through that lens as much you know um especially in its time the th 1934 or whatever version i'd be curious to check out i i was reading a little bit about it and um uh, uh what's her name again the, the main character uh, uh Laura, Laura is it yeah Alana she, Turner Laura yeah. uh she her character which wasn't Laura in in the names were different too but um she wasn't a actress in it she she just um the Annie character had like a donut recipe or something right and and Laura wanted to market it and give Annie 20% and Annie wasn't into the you know that that's even more interesting there's like predatory kind of lending yeah. type shit and interesting yeah. um and it's more like every man kind of story mm -hmm. for every mm -hmm. woman you know um yeah that and 50s now that's when hollywood got its head up its ass and yeah exactly. started putting on oscars and <laughs> uh so I would be curious to check it out but yes yeah, probably that you know stuff from that era is kind of hard to watch I'll be honest just a, yeah would you be interested in a remake of this because think of like a star is born that's like thrice remade back to the 20s into the barbara streisand version and now the bradley cooper one which yeah, crushed interesting yeah just to update it and do it because it still applies like i said sadly you know it's still relevant yeah the passing white thing you got rachel dolezal you could do the yeah. opposite with it or something even maybe if you really wanted to get funky you can make Susie's trying to pass as black <laughs> to be hilarious, but but I think you oh, still <laughs> I think you still could definitely have a conversation about mm -hmm. this scale of light skinned versus black skin in the black community. Even you know, I've we've got people who've told us countless times, and there's many examples of it of the racism within the own community as far yes. as or prejudice against you know. Like there's a lot of resentment from the darker skinned African Americans towards the lighter skinned who could more easily assimilate in white culture and go into what now we would call white spaces, you know, which it's almost like a, 
it'd be interesting to introduce a darker skinned character or have Annie be it in the original or the 59 version and have her bring that up with her daughter. Like, yeah. Right. Like you, you are so ashamed of your blackness that you reject it. And it's a rejection of your mom. But at the same time, it's like, once the whites know, look what happened. She got her ass kicked by this dude, which is a fucked up moment. There's this white guy she's dating, trying to pass his white. Then he hears rumors that she's passing his white. She's really black. And he kicks the shit out of her on the street. By the way, that scene, the music was very strange to me for that yes. scene. It was like very upbeat, jazzy music while she's getting you know, beat up. That might be where some of the melodrama comes from it, but that's yeah, almost the right. argument in the other direction. Like to do the really emotional music would be melodramatic that's true too yeah so it's interesting it's subversive weird choice though yeah yeah well it's great for nowadays for people to examine about themselves and how those people reacted and his anger at being fooled Mm -hmm. yeah yeah why people feel that way and even now today the just the feelings people have towards other races and superiority and things like that. I just, I don't know. It's so stupid. It's so weird to base that on a skin tone. Like what? Well, our dad, Butch, our real dad, who sired us with you all those years ago when you were young and ignorant and whatever. This is a guy who took off when we were young, but for the best, because you didn't have any racist poisoning of the well where you did none of that even if you grew up with some implicit bias or whatever you didn't do any of that with us i don't remember any racial shit no and this is he flew a confederate flag on his property and you know what i mean and (laughs) famously i don't know if he was racist but he was definitely raised with those biases you know it was just part of his normalcy yeah right he's raised in mississippi for christ's sake probably the most racist Mm -hmm. state in the country and I'm just saying I'm glad we didn't grow up with that. Just poisoning us by accident, even, you know? Yeah, because like I remember when we, you know, found him again and uh and and reunited a couple times and and he dropped M bombs still and stuff, but I didn't get a feeling of hate. Right. Like it was more almost like like a comedic tone to it or something, or jovial Mm. version. It wasn't hateful, but it's still wrong and awful. But it it just wasn't like the, it didn't come from a place of hate. It was again more like it was just the normal. It is him. complicated. Yeah, I feel that if you talk to him about individuals, yeah, he wouldn't be at all. But it's so right. easy to box people into these things exactly. that, to other groups. It's absurd. Whether it's Democrats, the blacks, the whoever, you know. Right. That's why. Yeah. Shit like Archie Bunker was so great. I mean, it is funny we talk about the golden age of TV is now. It's like production value, maybe. Mm-hmm. But man, they were doing some shit in the seventies, like subject matter, yeah. yeah. Where they were just digging in, and it wasn't preachy or anything. Mm-hmm. They actually used a racist character to show it without being preachy. You know, no. kind of like that's what we try to do with Cactus Jack. You know, we don't tell you he's wrong; we just let him be wrong a whole bunch till you make up your mind if he's wrong or not. You know. But anyway, not to bring that up again. That means we got to work in Howard Stern and Zach Efron by the time the buzzer goes <laughs> off because we talk about them in every episode somehow. I remember Howard Stern. Zach Efron's too busy to be I in that movie. They were trying to package, by the way. Old, old Howard Stern stuff. I still listen to routine. Dude, Stern's the king. You were there when he was he was in D.C. Yeah. early in his career. Did you I listen to I Howard? I first heard of him from Mom. Because like, you, you talked about the... Um, the joke he made when I don't even think he did it. I think it was one of his fans did it or something, but or one of his staff, but they the called Potomac bridge. the airline that had crashed into the Potomac bridge and said, how much for a one-way ticket to the bridge? Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I remember you mentioned, I was like, Oh, who the fuck's this? I got to check this out. <laughs> it's awful, but it's funny. Oh yeah. As soon as I heard that, I laughed as a kid. Yeah. It's just, it's gone. <laughs> how do you not get the comedy of it? It's like, right. I think that, what was the word he term he used to use a lot? Dingleberries or <laughs> who knows? Back in the eighties, he had the I just early eighties. 
that's yeah. probably what was boundary pushing at the time, you know, dingleberries and shit. <laughs> <laughs> or it could have been something worse. I don't remember. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Bag on. <laughs> I can see that one. Definitely. I hear that one a lot. What kind of movies did you grow up watching? Was Granny at all governing what you watched? I mean, there wasn't even that much stuff. But, I mean, the 60s, you had all the B movies. And then Sandra D in this film, famously, was Gidget in the movie version, which started the whole beach movie craze. So there's all that kind of stuff that was out there in the 60s and 70s. What kind of stuff were you guys watching as a family, if anything? Because I do remember watching a ton of movies with Granny. But she just kind of sat back there. Right. I don't remember her talking about them or anything, but we'd hear her like laughing at stuff. Um, Cigarette. Yes, exactly. Tub of ice cream or (laughs) drinking coffee. (laughs) Well, I don't remember too much on TV in the way of movies, but we used to go to movie drive in a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember a few of those occasions. The cartoon movie or whatever would come on first, and you were expected to be asleep. there were most of the time not and i remember my dad liked to go see horror movies so maybe where that's where all this comes from watching Kong and the um what was he called i'd love to hear what his favorite horror movies were and stuff Black Lagoon, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Nice creature feature stuff. Yes. Yes. I like the classic <laughs> Universal Monsters, Dracula, Creature mm-hmm. from the Black Lagoon, The Wolfman. Well, one of the first movies I ever went to, didn't you tell me it was a drive in and The Wolfman played? Um, I thought you said that to me years ago. I remember, this might be a conflation thing, because I remember seeing Jaws in the drive-in, and the opposite screen on the far end was uh, a a werewolf movie. It was like Howling or something Mm. like that. And we were watching that a lot. We were like going back and forth (laughs) watching... But I, I man, I they had drive-throughs where you could see both screens. That's yeah, it was nuts. on the far end. It was like another lot where you could turn around and see the other one. Dude, that's like being on the, the internet in 1981 or something. <laughs> right. Which screen do I look at? My sure phone or the TV? <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Well, they're talking about drive-ins, and I think they kind of are a little bit. But um, you know, the possibility of a resurgence with the COVID thing and stuff—you just stay in your car and stuff. Yeah, some comedians are doing like Burt Kreischer's doing basically drive-in theater shows. You know, everyone just parks their car and watches. But a theater here that showed it them in their parking lot—they put like a big screen on the side of their building, and then people could pull into the parking lot and watch the movie. Which isn't bad if you tune into the frequency and you got your sound system surround basically in the car. Yeah. If you keep the windows rolled up, you're controlled, you know, bring your own popcorn, whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not bad. You could go in and use the restrooms for that. And I think order through your phone and they would bring the food out to you. But we do also have a drive-in here in New Braunfels. We got to hit that next time we're down there. Yeah, sounds great. Because, yeah, I remember back then you had to go to the concession set. You had to leave your car and go, you know. Some outsider shit, oh, man. Meet, meet your Cherry oh, Valance. Yeah, I know. I'm saying that's a cool improvement. Yeah. What was that, Jay? Sorry. I was saying, yeah, but you don't get to meet Cherry Valance at the popcorn stand like ah, in the outsiders, you know. Nice. Everybody's yes. stuck in their car. Yeah, that that jump, that scene did jump into my mind when we were talking about drive-ins. Yeah. Um, so you guys went to the drive-in more. You didn't go to, like, the theater theater that much, huh? Well, we did. I remember going, we would, I remember seeing Disney movies. That's cool. Yeah. And getting sick at one and discovering I had German measles. So. Really? What movie do you remember? I think it might've been a Winnie the Pooh movie. Dang. Did you start feeling ill during it? Yeah. We had been out and doing things and I had a new golden book. It might've been a Winnie the Pooh book. And I just remember throwing up all over that and having to leave and, I guess that was before people got vaccines for okay. the granny was thrown up because she was drinking. Everybody's thrown up. Before <laughs> that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the whole family. Like that scene in the yeah. stand by me, the pike pie eating contest. Oh, yes. Everybody's puking. <laughs> well, yeah, Steve, let's start with Stephen King for a second. Oh yeah. I mean, that's what did it really. Yeah, his books laying around everywhere. I read a lot of them. You know, oh yeah. And, uh, of course, his films, you know. Um, Stephen King, man, that's super informative. Mm-hmm. What turn, do you think that came from our grandpa, Frank, again, your dad, the horror, just, what, what do you think it was about your upbringing, maybe, that just 
put you in a space where you would gravitate towards Stephen King, Dinar Kuntz, all that kind of poppy horror stuff, you know? It's possible because I always loved those kind of movies, The Amazing Shrinking Man, The 50-Foot Woman, the one about the giant spiders. What ifs? That's essentially what all horror movies are. What What if these dudes invaded your home, even if it's grounded, you know? Just didn't, didn't the shrinking man end with him shrinking to nothing, like vanishing from the world essentially? It's like the I most existential, amazing yeah, shit ever. Moved by that, I'm pretty sure that was the, the. There's a few versions, but it's almost what dying is if you were to, you know, come up with a physical way to represent the act of dying that you just shrink to nothing. Mm-hmm. You know? But he still existed on his right. own, just in this like it just cut cut off from the world. You know, it's kind of wild. It's kind of sad. Yeah, definitely. Until the sequel where he meets a pretty girl who's also <laughs> shrunk to his size and they <laughs> and he becomes Ant-Man. <laughs> right? And the wasp. <laughs> who knows? Maybe it was a way to stay connected with my dad after the divorce. Well, we also just appreciated that you are a reader. Yeah. Say what you want, even if people aren't reading high literature, that does not matter. Read around your kids, man. And studies show that you can read anything, comic books, whatever, just be reading, you know, mm-hmm. you're building vocabulary, you're learning grammar and stuff like that. You Dude, know? Yeah, you just, all of my vocabulary, which I exercise uh, much more in writing than like on this podcast speaking, yeah. <laughs> came from Marvel supervillains. Supervillains drop some dime store words, dude. Like, <laughs> I guess dime store was good back when that phrase came up like the, when words cost a penny or whatever. That's interesting. How much do movies cost when you went to drive-in as a kid? Do you remember? Gosh, I don't. I wouldn't have been aware of that. Like fifty cents a ticket or something, man. Dang. Probably pretty darn. Yeah. Cheap. What was I watching? Some movie about filmmaking, and someone said someone's dropping their hard-earned quarter on this. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how much concessions cost back then. Right, well, and that's how they make oh, all was, their business uh, now. Mank. Oh yeah, yeah. That's you're right. Awesome. That Fincher movie, make. Um, yeah, because man, going to the movies now—that was our favorite thing as a kid. We would try and go to the dollar theater as much as that can suck sometimes. Um, the key is to see like the erudite movie that no one—the pretentious movie at the dollar theater—that's yeah, the trick. Because no one type stuff. Yeah, no one's seeing it. It's like you'll be one of three people in there, but you can't go to some Fast and Furious movie in the dollar theater. You're fucked. <laughs> Um, my favorite thing to go to a movie by myself and there's yeah. no one else in the theater I love it too when it's a matinee and you come out and there's still the day ahead of you you know there's still sun and stuff you're just it's a great feeling especially right. I mean some movies are when you walk out you are still under their spell you know totally I think that, that helps too that you're not going to bed shortly after yeah you walk exactly. around with that movie for a whole day thinking about it day, yeah I remember seeing American History X with Granny. Right? <laughs> she, yeah, it was Paul and Granny was with us. Yes, right? I think. it was an yeah. amazing experience. Remember uh, that? What? Going to see American History X? Oh. Yeah, we saw it in Woodbridge with Granny at that mall or whatever. I think yeah, it was I me, Chris. There? I think it was Paul, Granny, me, and Chris for some reason. Yeah, the first time I remember seeing it. Yeah, I think so. On DVD. Yeah, I think we were like, you got to see this. Because we always were fascinated with that stuff. Do you remember, I don't want to be putting you out there in the middle of the world like this, but uh, bringing home faces of death tapes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were teenagers, people. It's cool. It wasn't like showing us seven-year-old faces of death. But uh, yeah. I don't know. I, to me, I mean, it's life. That's part of life, you know, and there is right. a morbid, morbid curiosity that we all have. I don't, you know, I don't think. It's Honestly, look at those films. The ones that have real footage, at least more as documentaries in right. shock right. material yeah, yeah. it's but everyone looks at them like they want to know what your own end might look like you know if you had come to some untimely um, right. uh, you know accident or what have you rituals from around the world that kind of thing and the, well it's a matter yeah, of like how they're edited Kane type shit yeah right is it is it celebrating it or you know right which reveling uh, it fetishizing it yeah that kind of stuff yeah. um yeah. but i think the early ones i remember was just like here's a clip Here's a clip, you know. Mm-hmm. That's what I remember. And I remember the one where they were eating 
monkey brain. Yeah, monkey and they're like brain, clubbing yeah. the monkeys Which in the might head. Might be fake. I know some of those were Indiana fake. Jones. I feel like that might have been faked, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a gr- that the scene in India where there's the eyeball soup and all that shit. I remember that too in the theater. That was great. Um, Man, who was I just talking to? Maybe it was me and Chris talking though, or maybe it was to a guest. But uh, the idea that you can't put horrific stuff in a movie anymore, like in Hollywood, maybe it was a screenwriter we were talking to. But uh, then you look at the stats on the internet. Oh, I think it was in our Megan is Missing conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because this is a movie, Megan is Missing, this horrific found footage, child abduction, murder movie. That horrifying. Sat around for years before a distributor would pick it up and do anything with it. And even then didn't really make any noise until last November in 2020 during the pandemic, it blew up on TikTok and had like 85 million views or something in November. Massive numbers, right? And then you hear about, you know, any ISIS beheading video, it does millions of views, right? So it's just funny if Hollywood's actually looking at what people really want to see, it's pretty gnarly. And pretty realistic, you know. Mm-hmm. But we always try and avoid these things in films. It's interesting. But Cactus Jack was too much for them. Yeah, we'll see. Um, we got some European well, that... things going on with it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They they'll probably appreciate it a lot more than so. There's an audience. <laughs> European publicist who dug it, really dug it, and is into it. It's going to help, I think, at a discount knowing that we have no budget left but uh somebody who does like large von trier movies really creepy awesome stuff like we like anyway have you seen anything lately mom yeah that's always you're actually good for movie suggestions you Mm -hmm. turned us on to true romance and pulp Pulp fiction yes Uh, you braveheart did i i think so this Um, is because of you Oh man, it's backwards. <laughs> down, but... Oh yeah. Uh... yeah, it's backwards and upside down. It's the bad motherfucker. Oh, for me, it wasn't upside down, but um, um, yeah. So, anything lately? Gosh, I can't say movie-wise, really, because I feel like since the pandemic, there hasn't, you know, not new why new movies. There hasn't been a lot out there, except Cactus Jack, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um. I've just been, we've just been going through TV. TV. Yeah, mm, yeah we talked about that pandemic, a lot. That's, yeah, you can marathon it and yeah, sink in. Um, how about a desert island movie? Desert could Imitation island. Life be, or if you were, you know, if you were stuck on a desert island, what movie would you pick to, if you could only watch one forever for the rest of your life? No, it wouldn't be that one. Maybe yeah, I think so. Yeah. Breakfast Club, hell yeah. Yeah, That is great. (laughs) That's one of my all-time favorite stuff. I think it's my favorite answer to that question so far from any guests. Mm -hmm. Good answer. I didn't know you you liked that movie that much. I mean, yeah. It's one of those things you turn on whenever it's on, no matter where Mm -hmm. it's at. Chud Nelson, man. Bender. Yeah. You just got to take the Bender ride. (laughs) It's a great, like, cross-section, you know, of society, of all the different you know, archetypes, especially in high school, you know, the jock, the nerd, the, you know, mm-hmm. weirdo. And it goes back to the, the like, whole ending. Like monologue. him like trying to fit in. Mm-hmm. Hey, mm-hmm. yeah. Where do you, where do you fit in this? World? Yeah. Which is lame. It is. Have I mean, to fit kind, of in, that, like... kind of the answer with that movie is there is no fitting in. You're each just an individual, right? You know, there is no like greater in that room. You know, they were each representative of a different thing. And it wasn't about like this larger mass you fit into, which was cool about it. But then after they get out, like that was a great thing about it, too. They say, you know, well, when I see you in the hall, I'm probably not going to be. That's one of the best moments in the movie where Claire straight up tells the truth. Uh-huh. Like, I'm not going to say hi to you. We live in different worlds. This is a some weird dimension we found ourselves uh-huh. in between worlds. And Emilio Estevez, like, it's fucked up. You know, <laughs> you always have this Shit. moment. What's that? You'll always have that moment. It feels true, too, because we talk a lot on this podcast about those kids' movies of the 80s and how they didn't sugarcoat or pander the world to us, to children. And that was Spielberg's genius with stuff like E.T. and then even producing Goonies and stuff where mm-hmm. kids were treated like little adults who didn't know everything yet sure and made dumb mistakes the kids make or whatever but now we treat kids like there's some different species than adults and they can't see anything adult they won't understand it or relate to it and it's like 
movies for us were like a soft launch into the world. Mm-hmm. We know the dangers out there. We would know, you know, that you could be funnier, that it's cool to be this or that, you know, it's kind of almost a guide to living, but now it's so artificial. It's like bad textbooks that are revisionist history on human nature or something. It's weird. And with that, what? <laughs>